0: Hey, Howard Jacobson here. Welcome to today's Plant Yourself podcast. A quick reminder, this podcast is free for everyone and supported by patrons. So if you would like to find out about becoming a patron of the show and helping us out, helping defray the cost, helping to spread the message, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. Thanks so much and enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, Howard Jacobson here. Welcome to another edition of the Plant Yourself podcast. Let's bring in a little theme music. I've missed it. So today I'm talking with Greg Grieve, Gregory Price Greve, who is a professor of religion, head of the religion department at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. And we're talking because of an article that he co-wrote with a colleague um, called meditation apps might calm you, but miss the point of Buddhist mindfulness. And in this time, when if we want to be spiritual, if we want to meditate, we don't have groups, we don't have uh, you know live social connections. So many of us are relying on these apps. This article really pointed out not only their their benefits in terms of health and focus, but also their downside. And so I got onto Skype with Professor um, Grieve. And we had this really interesting conversation that went in so many directions, but kind of exploring this digital rabbit hole and what it means to be human in a digital age. What it means, does it mean to have a body? Um, I think you'll really enjoy where we went. Before we get there, a couple of quick announcements. One is the tip jar for Plant Yourself is open. If you'd like to help support the mission of the show, you can find that at plantyourself.com slash gift. You know, I make all of this stuff available for free, all the podcasts, articles, um, a lot of products or pay what you can basis. So if you are doing fine financially right now in this time and you'd like to make a contribution to help plant yourself, keep going very much appreciated. plantyourselfcom dot com slash gift. Secondly, we are planning a virtual sick-to-fit retreat, and that would be Josh Lajani and Kathy Hester, who is a uh, cookbook author and awesome person, and I will be uh, sometime in May leading a one-week virtual retreat, which, since we can't meet in person, we'll figure out how to kind of create that kind of community and do walks and runs and exercise and cooking demos and eating together. And it's not going to be very expensive, maybe maximum 99 bucks, um, and again, a pay what you can. So maybe a, a low of 25 for a week of really pretty intense community building. And I'd love to know if folks are interested in that. So if that sounds like something you'd like to participate in, let me know. You can either do it on Facebook on the Plant Yourself page or private message me or email hj at plantyourself.com or in the comments on the Plant Yourself website. Um, just a little bit of market research to see how much energy and effort we should put into putting it together before we put it together. And finally, if you'd like to become a health coach, uh, Kevin Davis and I are running the next cohort of the WellStart Coach training. Um, there will be scholarships available in case um, money is tight for you right now. You can find out more about it and sign up for an enrollment interview at wellstartcoach.com all right so let's get to today's conversation about digital spirituality greg grieve welcome to the plant yourself podcast
1: uh thank you for having me i appreciate it especially considering the, the situation we're in so i'm um i'm glad you've taken the time
0: yeah well i, I saw the article um that, that you uh, co-wrote about um sort of these mindfulness apps or these sort of proto-buddhist apps Actually, not kind of living up to um, to you know maybe some some people's expectations of what of what they could be. And I know, I guess you're you're a practicing Buddhist, so you're approaching this both as a as a scientist and as a as a consumer. Um, and I read it, and my first thought was like I felt the same way, but I just felt like a curmudgeon, and I didn't want to I didn't want to mention anything because it just it just felt so. Maybe maybe begin by just um, you know, sh- sharing a little bit about what's what 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 was in the article and what motivated you to uh,
1: to write it. So I should say, first of all, um, this is part of a larger. Um, so uh, Bev McGuire, who's a professor at um, in Wilmington in North Carolina, she and I have been talking about this for many years. And it's part we're, we're part of a um, uh, a group of people who is it's been funded by the Luce Foundation um, out of the, the Berkeley buddhist center there and basically so we've been talking about um telepresence and different ways that religion works over digital media and so i just want to kind of give her some credit because um uh, a lot of this comes out of our conversations over the years and and you know just to put it to put it to, to to summarize it as briefly as possible both of us had certain concerns about the buddhist apps um just to be more fair, I, I was actually always I always tried to be as fair as I could towards them, um, because if you look at Buddhism, you know there is no pure form of Buddhism. It changes as it as it evolves from Asia into North America. It's changed a lot. Um, you know, it, it changes depending on the different cultures it goes through. So, I, um, but she and I talked a lot about it, and basically this is the conclusion that we came to, which is um, first of all the studies show. That the apps do have a lot of health benefits for people, so really? it's not like they don't do anything. Um, the mindfulness is very, very good at calming people down and, and helping them be mindful of their situation, and all of that does have um, scientifically proven health benefits. Okay, uh, and and for me, the 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 kind of the anecdote that really shows it the most is that um, I was actually flying home one time from uh, new york city back to north carolina and it was one of those terrible flights where you know you're just you're just you, you know you think you're gonna die you know you're just <laughs> and it's it's the worst one i've flown many you know many hours of my life this is the worst one i ever had and everyone else was freaking out i was freaking out but the only person who was remaining calm through the whole thing was this woman who was using one of these buddhist apps in the seat in front of me <laughs> uh so in, in some ways that for me epitomized it you know i mean we're going through this you know um for a number of different reasons, we have a very stormy culture at the moment, and the Buddhist apps are helping people be calm. So I, there's, no, there's no doubt that they do have proven effects. Um, I've used them, and I've, I've found them useful. Um, so I, I don't want to say they're completely untrue or that they're mm-hmm. not useful in some way. Um, that said, first of all, they're really lucrative. So, I mean, they do make people a lot of money. There's no doubt. I, you know, I don't have the figures with me. But it's, you know, probably a multi hundred million dollar industry, at least of people making money off of these. So that was something that we wrote about, too. How, mm-hmm. um, um, and I'm not too concerned with that. I mean, if you look at religion and spirituality, people have always made money off it. So. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I think there's this notion um, that things which are spiritual and things which are religious should not also be lucrative. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not as concerned about that to tell you the truth. What, we're, what we really wanted to talk about was um, were they Buddhist, mm-hmm. and and this is where it gets kind of tricky because um, there's no Buddhist pope, there's no Buddhist Bible, there's nothing. You know, I mean, how is it that you what, what litmus test do you use to decide that it, whether it's Buddhist or not? Mm-hmm. Um,
0: right. Well, what yeah, uh, I mean, what what. What got me into this, you know, so I'm not a card-carrying Buddhist or a, or a non-card-carrying Buddhist, um, yeah. but like I, I saw a, a cartoon that had a, a big influence on my thinking about this, where this you know businessman with a briefcase and the tie and the suit is standing up very proud and tall and says, wow, I just meditated for 20 minutes. I feel like I could conquer the world. And then... You know, on the ground is like a you know like a, a Hindu uh, religious figure says. Well, maybe if you meditated for an hour, you wouldn't feel the need to conquer the world.
1: Yeah, and so that that's kind of what we were arguing. Basically, we're saying is this are these are these causing people to be better Buddhists, better human beings, or are they basically just allowing them to function better as kind of capitalistic pawns or as <laughs> businessmen? Uh, and and we came down on the mm-hmm. side saying that in the end we think that they're really more part of kind of late capitalism than they are Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, as you said, I kind of feel like a curmudgeon saying that because I have lots, I know lots of people who, um, who do use them, uh, and find them useful. And, and again, there's some like there's, there's, you know, I, I, um, there's some that are, there's an app that the Dalai Lama makes, which actually is, doesn't fall into that right so i mean Mm. it doesn't kind of promote that businessman it does actually um it promotes you thinking of how you're interdependent and codependent and interrelated with other people rather than trying to boost you as an individual who then can go out and Mm. and conquer the world right does that make sense so there there are some some apps that are like that but the ones that we looked at the the the, uh, the the major ones um for the most part, we're not.
0: Mm-hmm. And I guess you're talking about you know, the, I guess the 80 percent market share is Headspace and Calm,
1: right? right. And, and we looked at that, and and I've written a lot about um, um, some other ones too, which I'm not going to name. But yes, yeah, so but basically, um, yes. Yeah, so with those ones, we came out and we and we figured that they're. They have some buddhist flavor to them but i don't know if they would be considered buddhism um from our judge point you know from our point of view
0: right well and and one thing that that i've come to this so one one of the meditation teachers that i follow is a guy named adyashanti Mm -hmm. who's out in i think in oakland and his whole thing is like we're like we're not doing spirituality to have a better life we're doing spirituality to discover the truth about reality this is though the way a lot of people meditate is just simply tranquillized egos this is like i'd i much rather be around tranquilized egos than untranquilized egos, but that's not that's not what his understanding of spirituality is about, which is to discern the nature of reality and you know that when I look at like I did headspace for like a year, you know it was I like his voice it was a very cool app but it was pretty and then he kept, they kept coming up with these new packets, like the focus packet and the creativity packet. And like, yeah, I like focus. I like creativity. And I also felt like like somehow the product was going to be my success in the
1: marketplace. I, I completely agree with you. Um, and that, that's kind of what we ended up with. And basically what we decided was, I mean, I don't want to get used, start to use technical lingo, but that it was a way of creating neoliberal subjects rather than than doing what buddhism is which is tr- trying to give you insight in, into how the world is put together uh for the better betterment of of you and other people in the world and it seemed more like you know how do we create a better how do we make you a better commodity so that you can function better in the marketplace mm-hmm. and that's um so is, is and, that
0: what you mean by by a neoliberal commodity so, uh
1: so neoliberalism i mean you know so um uh, yeah, I was trying not to go here because I didn't want to get all technical. But basically, um, <laughs> it, uh, if you think about capitalism, capitalism is not just about um, the accumulation of wealth. It's about everything in re- everything in the social life has to be channeled through the marketplace, mm-hmm. and so everything gets channeled through the marketplace. Um, uh, and you know, and, and there's different there's different forms of 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 capitalism and pretty much from like the 1930s on from the depression until the early seventies, there was kind of a, mon- a managed capitalism in which, um, it wasn't deregulated, but starting in the early seventies, um, for a number of reasons, all of those kind of managed parts were, were taken off. So all the, everything became deregulated and, um,
0: right. So the invisible hand is going to make everything more efficient. AT&T is going to go away and we're going to get innovation in telecom. Right um the the you know uh, supply and demand will will rationalize everything and we're going to lift the world out of poverty
1: right that's you know that would be the ideology but um you know those of us who lived through it knew that a lot of what was going you know, i mean that that was the, the the story that would want to be told but in fact what ends up happening is that um we lose a lot of the traditional social backings that we have for you know basically our well-being and so and so one of the ways to do that would be under the guise of buddhism to kind of create these better marketable you you basically become a better human being so that you do better in the marketplace and that shows that you're successful Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not buddhism you know i mean that's that's using kind of these ancient Asian mystery religions to actually buffer the ego rather than to question it and to s- understand how the ego is um, it, the ego only comes about in relationship to other people. So it's kind of doing almost the exact opposite of what I would mm. say Buddhism is supposed yeah. to do, right? Does yeah. that make sense? And again, I don't want to, I, I don't want I don't want to be, too, I don't want I don't want to like harsh on people's mellow because I know that people really like these. And I don't want to say that there's one fundamentalist form of Buddhism, but I really do think that pe- that, that these apps need to be they need to be critically looked at to see mm-hmm. if they're actually doing what they claim to be doing.
0: Right. Well, I, rem- I remember when I first heard that um, you know Howard Stern was a meditator, and he did you know his TM transcendental meditation 20 minutes every morning and 20 minutes every night, and I thought. But he's a terrible person at that. You know, like that was my judgment of him at the time, whether that was true or not. You know, certainly he was crude and uh, I found it extremely offensive. But to think but it was really hard for me to connect those two to see that, okay, here's someone who's in this, you know, this sort of ancient tradition of of self-knowledge is then going out and just being successful. As a shock jock. And I've since, you know, come to know, I've been in the entrepreneurial world for, world for a long time. And so there's, you know, it's like Tony Robbins will tell you to meditate and Ray Dalio, the world's greatest hedge fund manager will, uh, you know, will meditate. And they're, they're all touting it as this neuro hack that, that doesn't seem to affect the, the content or the quality of what they end up putting out into the world.
1: Yeah, so let I, I me mean, say I agree with you, but let me um, let me just kind of make it um, let me problematize it just. To, and so, first of all, you know, Buddhism Buddhism is not um, some innocent religion, also, right? So, I mean, Buddhism has been I've been drinking out of mason jars too this whole time. Oh, yeah, for this, uh, uh, half a gallon. I, I, <laughs> no, that's what I've been doing. I have a huge one downstairs. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so, so Buddhism Buddhism's not an innocent. Religion, Right. You know, there's always this notion and, and I could go into the history of why in North America it's kind of considered, you know, why is Buddhism good and Islam bad. Right. And why, you know, the historical background to it. But, um, you know, in, in the contemporary in the, in World War Two, basically Zen Buddhism was used to justify kamikaze pilots. It was used to justify hmm. um, um, Japanese imperial aggression. So Buddhism, in you know, is is uh, it's been used. You know, samurais used it to, you know, killing without mind without mind was you know to justify it. Um, You know, we saw it in Myanmar just recently that Buddhism was used to justify the expulsion of of Muslim refugees. So Buddhism's not, um, you know, it, it it can be like any ideology. It can be used for bad purposes right so that's not the thing here my my, i'm not saying that they're misusing buddhism which because buddhism has been used for bad purposes my thing is that they're kind of using it almost exactly upside down which is that rather than rather than buddhism in all of its forms is trying to get rid of the ego or to at least show you that the ego is something that's constructed um and a lot of the meditation, I think this is what you're calling, you know, the the different type of um, these hacks are ways of creating a better ego, so that then you can go out into the marketplace and be a better entrepreneur, or you know, create yourself as a better product at work, so that you'll you'll do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't. That's just not. There's nowhere in Buddhism that that's the point of it, right? Um, does that make sense? And I feel like I'm jumping around a little bit. So,
0: Well, you're, follow- you're following me, and I'm jumping around like crazy because these are thoughts that have, that have yeah. sort of been sparking and started coalescing when I read your piece and, and got in touch with you. Um, but I, I guess one question is um, Is it the, you know, you said like the Dalai Lama has an app that you think is good Buddhism. Before you said that, I was thinking, like is it, is it the medium? Like the fact that it's a smartphone, like, for example, I do a lot of stuff on Facebook with groups where I, you know, from my perspective, it's totally sort of selfless, helping people, not asking for money in return, just trying to, you know, to do good things in the world that that I believe in. And it gets drowned out. Nobody sees it because I'm not making enough money to pay the for pay to pay Facebook for to boost things it doesn't make any sense for me to do it so within the within the context of facebook it's almost impossible to to not be capitalist and i'm wondering within the the medium you know this is very marshall McLuhan, but the medium of the iphone or the or the android phone is it possible to sneak in you know true
1: spirituality so Two again. Two, there always seems to be two things. I always, at least, there's like three and a half, three and a half things. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, two things. One is um, so digital media as it exists today is really kind of a byproduct of that neoliberal deregulation, and in the ideology behind it, you know, the whole ideology that any, everybody can be an expert. Every, you know, so the, you know, and the good part of that is it, it allowed a lot of voices. But the 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 downside about that is that there is no gatekeepers at this point. There's no. Um, there's no experts telling, you know, helping people figure out what is real and not real information. Hmm. And I think that's built into the medium to a certain extent, right, at this point. Um, so, like, Facebook, you know, is who can use the most all caps gets heard rather than the person who has some notion of knowledge about it. And and and, and so there's, and there's almost this downplay of expertise. So people who do have some type of knowledge are seen as somehow being corrupt and, you know, Um and so I think that actually is built into the medium a little bit. Um I I don't know if I would agree with McLuhan that there's some kind of social determinism involved in the medium, you know, that uh that the the medium is a message. I think that you can use the media in such a way that it doesn't have to reinforce those. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, um there's you know the famous saying you can use the master's tools uh for your own house right and i think right. you can but or, or you can't
0: use the master's tools to, to tear down the master's house right yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah. so i'm i you know um and truthfully if you talked to me six weeks ago before the stay-at-home order started i probably would have been um less skeptical but i'm now really pretty i'm, I'm very skeptical now of um Mediated communication as somehow being as good as face-to-face communication mm. And it could just be my me as a social being wanting to talk to people face-to-face Right, but I've been I've been trying to manage people over zoom and it's really you know It's much easier for me at least to do it in person and I've been doing these um, And I sound like such a curmudgeon. I found, I know I feel like um, I've been doing all these sitting I've been doing a lot of Zazen online and it's just not the same as doing it mm-hmm. in, in person and a lot of my early work that I, in a lot of my early scholarship was trying to actually argue the other position that it was, it it was, it it was just as good or, you know, so I I feel like I'm, I'm undoing my earlier work, but I, I, I do think that, um, I, I do think that I, if I had to put it really succinctly, I would say that I don't think the message is completely determined by the medium, but I do think that it, um, that it affords certain types of human interactions, hmm. and, and and affords a technical term um, that kind of me- it means that the the meaning of a of a statement is channeled by which type of media it's u- used. Uh, so, like, um, like you could open a door, you could kick a door open, but the doorknob affords a particular way of doing it. Oh. So, turn this off here. Sorry about that. Sorry. Is yes, of course you know here I am distracted by my phone. Um,
0: <laughs> well, some, so it represents somebody wanting your attention
1: in the real world somewhere, right? And the little dopamine fix goes. Oh, someone likes me. Ding. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I so I I let me let me try to put this more straightforwardly. I do think that the digital media affords that kind of disinterested, egotistical way of being in the world. Um. But I don't think it completely determines it. I do think you can use it in yeah. such a way that it doesn't. Bev would probably disagree with me, right? The other author, she uh-huh. was always much more. Um, she really, she really thinks that these are inauthentic forms of Buddhist spirituality. Uh
0: huh. Um, well, because
1: yeah.
0: Well, you. I mean, you wrote in the. I think in the chapter in which you talk about the woman in twenty three A in the plane, you you yeah. talk you talk about like theory of like the iPhone is the ultimate. You know, tool of individualism, right? We've got these earbuds. We're shut, literally shutting out the rest of the world. We have a a screen that only we can watch. Like when my kids want to show me something on the phone, I'm like, "Can we see this on a computer?" So I can, you know, because it's it's it it atomizes us. And you know, the other the other the two things that are in my head right now. One is I just um, saw the uh, Mister Rogers documentary. Yeah, yeah. In which, and at the end, Tom Junod, one of the the journalists whose story is then told in the in the Tom Hanks, not you know, um, fictional movie, um, says the question is whether, like Mister Rogers, tried to use television for a completely different purpose. The question is, did he succeed? And it's like, well, he, you know, he was able to do this, but he did he, he didn't really shift the culture in any. Perceivable way, and so I'm wondering whether, like, the smartphone is just immune to anything other than atomized individualism.
1: And, and what I, w- I would probably take the middle path and say it's not immune to it, but it really does channel or afford a particular kind of animistic form of communication. Um, and, and at one point, it was really, really charismatic and interesting. I mean, if you can think back to when computers first came, there was this. There was this notion that they would create this agora without slaves, this open marketplace in which everybody could freely interact as equals. Um, And, you know, those of us who have lived through it can see that that's not where we ended up. Um, We ended up with Facebook and, you know, um, people who can trigger the most individuals are the ones that get their message out rather than those who are arguing logically
0: right and we have an an agora in which six billion users are working for free for for zuckerberg
1: right yeah so it's yeah it's an agora without slaves or but yeah but it's, it's a bunch of people who are freely giving their labor and not being compensated for right yeah so i mean i guess i'm um you know, early on, I was pretty much I, I was excited about the digital media revolution. And at this point, I'm skeptical about mm-hmm. it um, for those very reasons. But that said, it's not like we're going to be able to put it back. We can't put the genie back in the bottle. You know, we're not going to mm-hmm. somehow become you know, Neil Neil Amish and. Get rid of all right. our digital media. Um, right. Well, unless the unless the calamity,
0: you know, <laughs> I mean, oil is said uh, negative dollars per barrel. Like,
1: yeah, yeah, they're paying people to take it. <laughs> yeah, and again, I, you know, I mean, we're um, we're actually speaking at a very interesting point because we have no clue what's going to happen next. You know, I mean, um, it slowed down a little bit, but it seemed like every two days it was on completely different story. So it would be interesting to see. Yeah. Well, you
0: know, and in terms of, the, you know, your statement, like, you know, we're not going to put the genie back in the bottle, we're not going to become neo-Amish. Like, I have seen, like, you know, the the groups I'm involved in on Facebook, uh, I'm I'm part of a lot of sort of permaculture back to the land groups who are saying, see, like, the only way civilization is going to survive is if we, you know, go back to relatively self-sufficient local homesteads. And then I see like Ray Dalio giving an interview, which is like, this is a really exciting time. Technology is going to take off. More and more people are going to be comfortable with Zoom and, and these other things. And, you know, there's like this, you know, the singularity idea, which sort of, sort of like echoes something Buddhist or Eastern, doesn't it? Like,
1: so that the singularity idea, again, um, it would be hard put to find some Eastern religion that backed it up. You know, uh, I, and I don't know, I'm not an expert enough to even know where to start looking. I, but I, but the whole notion that there's going to come a point where, and maybe just, a, this is how I, there's going to come a point where, um, a universal consciousness erupts because of the interconnectedness of the different media. Is that how you understand the singularity or
0: I, I guess, yeah. I, yeah, that we we and machines will be one, and we will all be one.
1: And, and I sound like such a skeptic at this point. I, <laughs> I just, you know, I just see that as being, um, if anything, what this pandemic has showed me is that human beings really haven't evolved much at all, <laughs> and that we're we're kind of in the same place that we were. You know, we're just the same. We're the same. You know, I mean, maybe we have some better bells and whistles. Um, <laughs> But you know, I mean, there's little difference between this and the, the you know the uh, influenza epidemic of 19, you know, 1917, right? Um, that's so. And, that's
0: so funny to think to think about that to strip away, like when you when you see the the inherent irrationality of human responses.
1: Yes. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. So I mean, I I don't really you know I, I, again I don't think that. Humans haven't come that far in the last hundred years, you know, um, and, and so this notion that somehow th- that that utopian notion that somehow we'll reach a singularity with the different types of um, technology, if anything, I, I, I feel much more distant from that than I would have, you know, a month and a half ago, right? I mean, um, <laughs> I, I feel that we're much more basic and primal than that well
0: and when you look at like the 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 two companies that have probably done the most to move us towards um you know the the utopian technological future google and facebook right google was like when we have all this information we're just going to make the right decisions and facebook is you know Zuckerberg when he wasn't like rating female students in his Harvard dorm was like this is going to make you know bring the world closer together and make us connected and we we've seen exactly the opposite
1: from from both. Well that that's yeah that's the thing and it, 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 it there's a, there's a two what I would call you know kind of false axioms. One is this notion that information and wisdom are the same thing <laughs> and that the the more you know if you just give people more information they're going to make the right choices. And that's not true, and the other oh. one is the more interconnected we are, somehow the the better off we'll be. That doesn't seem to be true either. Um, mm-hmm. Right.
0: Well, I, th- uh, and I think I think Google wasn't saying the more information you give people, it was saying the more information you give machines, the and the better off will be. So that we've we've got all these you know sort of black box algorithms run, that are supposed to run our world now. That that take you know the the uh, you know the the meat suit. Um, primates out of the equation
1: yeah no i think you're right <clears throat> excuse me um i think yeah and again algorithms if you look at algorithms they are black boxes as you said but they're human uh, they're, they're created by people and so they're not any i mean they're they're you know, they're racist they're sexist um they don't they they have all of the same foibles that the people who constructed them did. Um, even like face recognition, face recognition has a really hard time recognizing people with darker skin because the people who constructed it were lighter skin for the most part. So it's not like by creating these yeah. tools that you're going to get away from the human foibles um, in any way. And, that, and that's why you know that's why I think. Um, there's a huge difference between wisdom and information Mm -hmm. and exactly what that is. You know, that would be a different podcast, but, um, uh, but there's this notion that the more information you give people, the more they can get to the wiser they'll be in their decision-making process. Uh, and I think, you know, I think the last four years have proven that not true. Right. (laughs) So,
0: um, Yeah. So I kind of want to come back to the apps um, and like give people like so, you know, people listening to this and maybe they've liked Calm or 10% Happier Headspace. And now they're like, oh, like, am I just a neoliberal tool? Um, Like I stopped using Headspace because I felt like I was too tethered to my phone. Like the thing that I needed Headspace for was to manage my phone addiction. (laughs) And it was just playing into that. Do you have recommendations for people to either to use it in a different way to take back control and, you know, subvert part of the programming or to drop it? Or how 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 do we get our both, you know, health b- benefits of mindfulness and spiritual benefits?
1: So I should say um, I would come at it from a Buddhist point of view, which would be a middle path. <laughs> so don't completely give it up, um, and don't completely get addicted to it, but be mindful of how you're using it and use it sparingly, probably more than you want and realize that they're made to be addictive. The, the apps are made to draw you in, you know, like as we were talking earlier and my phone rang, right. It's made to, to get my attention. Um, and there's a, and so I think there's a, two main ways. I, so I would say don't you don't you don't have to stop using it. I think that would be um, especially if it's helping you. You know, I mean, if it's doing something that's useful for you. Um, but do be mindful of how much you're using it. And it might be good to take like digital sabbaths, um, where you um, I try to do this on the weekend, which is actually m- take my phone and put it away, uh-huh. um, uh, and. Like I, you know, you were talking about uh, permaculture earlier. I like to garden, and when I garden, I purposely keep my phone as far from me as I can. Um, um, and I do, I really do think that um, you start to have some deeper types of self reflection when you're away from your phone. Um, you might have less of that, and it might not be as, as, it's easy to turn into something which then you can monetize, mm-hmm. but I do think that you have um, there's parts of what it means to be human that you need to have when you're not near your digital device.
0: Right.
1: And I should say this is pretty radical for me because I was always the one arguing the other position earlier in my <laughs> in my career. So, um, but I, I really do think it's important to take time away from your your phone, especially especially um, when wearing quarantine like this, because I mean, we're so we're spending so I don't know how you are, but I'm spending so much time on the computer and so much time talking to people. Um, it's really important for me to put the phone down and take a walk or something like that. And I don't know if I've yeah. answered your question. I kind of It was yeah. a wiggly, wiggly middle path.
0: Well, I, you know, I, I appreciate any academic who can question their previous work and be, <laughs> and be thoughtful. I don't come across that all that often. Uh, but wh- one thing that came to me when when you said, like, you know, put your phone down when you garden or go for a walk, like I've been doing that to a certain extent. But part of me is like, damn it, I'm I'm not counting those steps.
1: <laughs> like there's something addictive about the, about the quantification. That's, that's the commodification, right? Of the quantification, right? That if it, if you can't if it's not recorded, it didn't happen.
0: Right. And, and I know Headspace you know is was heavily quantified like it would tell me my streaks it would tell me how many minutes it was it was like oh look how look how spiritual i or or look how mindful i am and i really liked that
1: and and that and i think that can be good if it's helping you work towards a goal but i think ultimately it's just turning you into another commodity It's you know, you're basically your, your spirituality is no different from a can of, of soda or something. Right. I mean, it it turns it into this thing, which can be, um, quantified and sold or, uh, in some way. Yeah. And in our attention, attention is that thing right now, which is what people are trying to capture. They're trying, you know, someone said that like a minute of attention is worth like $5 or something. Hmm. Um, You know, so I mean, they've quantified how much each minute of our attention is, um, and how do you capture that?
0: Wow, Uh, the fifteen dollars minimum wage feels woefully small. Yeah, no, I I
1: forget. I forget. You know, you could probably Google and find out. But there's like, you know, um, so when they're when people are creating these apps, they're like they're figuring out how much attention is going to catch, how how much how much can they monetize Mm -hmm. that attention? Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And of course, the the other thing, the other thing about you know meditation is you could sit and meditate and it's meditation, or you could sit and not meditate, and it looks exactly the same, right? Like, there are right. days when I get up from my morning and go, I don't
1: even know if I meditated. Right. And again, um, you don't want, you know, I would hate to, you know, you could you could probably find some, like, a Fitbit or something that would measure whether you were meditating or not. Yeah. I just think that that's going in the wrong direction at this point. Um, I think we need to consciously get away from quantifying and commodifying our behaviors. Um, and again, do I do it all the time? No. Uh, but I, you know, I purposely don't, at this point I purposely don't count my steps. I don't, um, I, you know, I, I try to, I try to push it back against it, uh, because mm-hmm. it makes me feel less human. if you want to know the truth, I just mm-hmm. start to feel like, um, like you know i if my self worth is only coming about through these different ways of measurement mm-hmm. um i don't i i i push back against it i think
0: right There's- although i think you know when people get started like when i started um becoming a serious runner i found the measurement and the sharing the social sharing of my miles and steps and pace was very motivating and because the, my default was to kind of be really s- squirrely and sneaky about. Oh yeah, I did it. I did it, and to have you know a bright line shone on my effort felt really good. <laughs> but but then you know there's all these stories like um, for for the runners out this we'll understand this. A lot of us use Garmin watches, which then posts to Strava, and and often there is a tiny discrepancy between Garmin and Strava, so. Well, you'll see people who have just posted like an 11.99 mile run <laughs> and it'll drive them crazy. Like they're just going to run around their driveway for another 30 seconds to get to 12 so that the the number itself becomes the goal as opposed to the the act or the benefit or the or the doing for its own sake.
1: And I guess my 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 thing would be not to completely get rid of all of that, but to be mindful of it and have some parts of your life where you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And for me, for me that's working in the garden, you know, I don't measure how many hours I put in or how many mm-hmm. peas I plant um, um but like like you know, in the morning I meditate and I med- you know, I time how long I'm there and I have some friends who think that's ridiculous. They're just like you should just meditate, you know. And that, so <laughs> I you know, I would say take take a middle path, right, between uh-huh. the two. Um, especially when you're just, especially when you're first trying to get a habit going, I think mm-hmm. that stuff helps a lot.
0: Yeah. So, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is the role of the body in all this, because you know, when when I'm on my phone, I can feel extremely disembodied, like I'm somewhere else. I'm experiencing something, you know, I'm in my head. And with the pandemic, you know, like the problem with humans is that we have these bodies. Like if we were all just digital, then. You know, then nothing would be wrong. Now, Headspace starts out, and I I don't, I guess the other ones maybe do too, by having you like do a little body scan, and there's a lot of body awareness in the apps themselves. What I don't, I don't even know what my question is, but what, you know, what's what's the relevance of the body in this conversation?
1: I think, um, I find. And this is a totally academic answer, which is what I really find interesting about the is with the digital media and the body is before digital media, we never really thought about the body. You know, I mean, there was no reason to even think about it. But then all of a sudden there became this notion that when we go online or we go into these digital spaces, that our bodies somehow stay somewhere else. <laughs> and for me, that's, you know, like when we when we read a book, you don't think, oh, God, I'm leaving my body behind. I'm going into the book. <laughs> or when i watch a film you know you don't think okay i'm leaving my body behind i'm going into the film we don't think that way but something about um digital media invites us to think that we're leaving our bodies behind and going into this other space um, mm. which i think is really interesting i don't know why that is you know i you know um some of it i think is ideological and that that's just how it is it may be that when we go into these spaces there's other people there so somehow we hmm. We, we think that like in, in our conversation here, like where's our conversation taking place, right? <laughs> is it in Pittsburgh or is it in Greensboro? Is it like somewhere? I don't know where it'd be in between Ashboro What would be, you know, <laughs> you know so um, I know I'm not answering your question at all, but I thought a lot about the thing I love most about. I like to think, you know, and then, you know, then what is our body, right? Is our body um, is it just where our skin ends do our clothes count as our body? You know, like when I cut my hair, how long is it part of my body? And when does it not become part of my body? I know these are like, you know, um, I'm not answering your question yeah. at all. Other than with my own no, curiosity about it. but I didn't
0: even ask a question. So yeah, yeah. I, I can't blame you for that. I mean, yeah, but I working in the garden, like I can't help but think like what I'm growing now is going to be my body. Um, my body right now I'm working out is burning fat um i 'm exhaling carbon dioxide that the plants are going to be breathing in like i i mean part part of me thinks like that's maybe like the most Buddhist thing ever is that 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 yeah there's a body and it's boundaryless in some ways,
1: yeah, I mean, you can look at it i mean um you know there's like the literal body right you know you pinch yourself and it hurts mm-hmm. there's the, the social body, which is us interacting with different different people and different animals and different plants right human and non-human things and then ultimately there really is no body because you know, 100 years from now we won't we won't be our bodies won't be here all right mm-hmm. so i mean you know so i mean um i you know i i um i really it sounds ridiculous i really like to think about the body a lot i just like to think about it as um and like i don't you know um you don't seem like the type of person who would play a video game, but like I play a lot of video games. Um, <laughs> you you have and, me pegged. And um, and when your character in the video game something happens to it, you mm. react. Your body reacts, mm. even though you know you, you like you know you like someone you know somebody will like you. Um, and so you know the question is where you know where does the body you know if I touch you on the screen, right you know am yeah. I touching your body uh-huh uh, and so I know this is this is all just kind of abstract um, uh,
0: well but i so- i remember I remember reading not too long ago uh, an article about like this uh, online gamer, this woman in South Africa who's like a star gamer, and her her physical regimen like like total athlete, like you know two hours in the gym and eating and watching her food' was, like like that's not like. That's not my, what I thought, you know. From like Ready Player One, like you know, I felt like like really obese, unhealthy, pasty people who never leave their lair.
1: Yeah. So these, um, the whole esports, especially in Korea and Europe now, they have these esports leagues. I don't know if you can follow these at all. But I've, seen be like... that, I've seen that
0: they exist. Uh, so you
1: know, you'll have like twenty thousand people in a auditorium watching people play video games, oh, and. And they are athletes in the sense that they do i mean they work out they're they're they have to have really good reflexes um you know it, it's not the the kind of the stereotype of um you know a pasty pasty teenager down in their basement somewhere right i mean it's they are they are working out um but my thing is like where you know does the body extend into that virtual space or does it end at the screen um what uh-huh. counts you know because if you think again if you think of um you know spiritually um at different traditions your parts of your body can extend outside of the physical into other realms right mm-hmm. and so does this digital media do that or do we use those spiritual the, you know those pretty pretty ancient spiritual notions um to think of how of digital media do we use those ancient you know to think about it um
0: <laughs> right so is like is second life actually part of the multiverse
1: yeah. Or even more, you know, I mean, the, human beings have had multiverses for a long time. I mean, you can look at like the old caves that, uh, you know, in the Paleolithic, and the Neolithic. And were those, those were kind of virtual spaces. Um, you know, you have the different cathedrals in Europe with those virtual spaces. And so, I mean, you need to really talk about digital virtual spaces, which are really they're fun. Um, you know, we talked about the in- inauthenticity of different types of spiritual practice in digital realms. Um, which is something you could talk about. But it's also just interesting to think. There's no doubt that the digital media has forced us to rethink a lot of the kind of basic notions of what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. And and for me, those questions are more interesting, really, than is it authentic or inauthentic.
0: Right. Um, And and for me, the, 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 the interesting part for me is, could we can you imagine a universe in which this grew organically as wikis, as collective bottom up experiences rather than capitalist? Like what would you know, what would did the digital world look like if it was all, you know, Craigspace and Wikipedia and and um,
1: open source as as. A, <laughs> And I think the thing is, I think you're right, right? And so there's that kind of – there's a left-leaning libertarianism and a right-leaning, but both of them come out of um, the – they come out of this neoliberal ideology, right? That the way to solve our problems now is not with large institutional systems but with these kind of organic ground-up – just kind of things which grew. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I think it's interesting to think about that not as – an inevitable are necessarily good but it may be that other types of um human organizations might actually serve us better than that kind of wikipedia one again what that would look like i don't know i just you right. know um i'm much better at raising questions than i am at answering
0: good anything, well I, right? I i you know i know lots of people with answers and they yeah. you know, I, I don't find them very helpful most of the time so uh, i think you know i mean especially in the last few weeks with the pandemic but but seeing where our civilization seems to be going into some kind of new thing that none of us can can predict, I think questions are awfully useful, and and being able to, being able to put like I love what I love about our conversation. One of the things I'm loving about it is how you're putting a very new phenomenon into a historical context, into you know cathedrals and caves, um, and books and
1: movies. Um, yeah, digital digital media didn't come out of the thin air. You know, I mean, it didn't, it has a background, um, you know, it has a background at least 2000 years and it's not, you know, we think of it as revolutionary in some ways it was, but at the same time it does have like a, there's a prehistory to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and I think really it's important. I think that, um, you never have so much faith in something that you're not willing to have your mind changed. Um, you know, so, I mean, I don't have enough faith in anything not to have. I, I'm always willing to be have my mind changed. And I think that's really important that we um, even when we talk about all of this stuff. So, I mean, even with the Buddhist apps, um, you know, this is just how I'm thinking about it at the moment. And, you know, and, and I'm hoping that it will help people in the world suffer less. But I'm always willing to be talked out of it, you know. Uh huh.
0: Right. So is there yeah. so, you know, I know you've uh, you've talked about research on health and mental health is there research related to what you're writing about around you know is it buddhist is it ego boosting or ego dissolving
1: like is how would you even
0: study that
1: i don't know so you you couldn't study it um you you couldn't study it like a social scientist because there's no way there's no way to make an argument whether it's buddhist or not buddhist i think you could study it from religious studies point of view uh, and 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 argue about it you could make arguments about it which would be answered from a humanistic point of view rather than a scientific point of view. Um, and that's you know that's where I would put myself. So I'm basically making arguments um, and the evidence is not so much scientific data, but more stories and mm really just more stories stories you know basically mm-hmm. stories you know that would be mm-hmm. my evidence it's you know i mean i you know no one um it's not scientific in the sense of being quantifiable but it is scientific in the sense of being systematic mm-hmm. uh, systematic ways of thinking i don't yeah. know does that answer right. your question i feel like i veered off yeah. to the side there again.
0: well i mean it's- I think it's also it's also, you know, relevant as a meta question in this civilization. What counts as as evidence and what counts as questions worthy of asking? Can you ask questions that you can't, you know, answer with a survey tool or uh, you know, something objective?
1: Yeah, and, and I think I think the problem is we, we get into this either or that it's either a objective answer or that, that it's completely subjective so that it's either one answer or you know a gazillion. And I think there's, there can, there's a ground for a medium place of a well-argued, non-quantifiable answer to things. And I think we lose a lot of that. That might be what I would call wisdom. Uh, we lose hmm. a lot of that in digital media, and we lose a lot of it through platforms such as Facebook in which everybody seems to have the same amount of expertise Mm -hmm. um so i you know and again i I feel like i'm sounding old-fashioned but i really do think that it's helpful to have certain gatekeepers um to help keep the knowledge from getting just spun out of control so everybody you know i mean if if arguing that the moon is made of cheese you know, you could say, of course, it's made of cheese. That's what I say. You know, you, anybody could say that. And that seems to be what a lot of the arguments are on. Right. Although, on, Fe- on Facebook. Well, here, here's something I've, that's been
0: bugging me um, about arguments on Facebook and, and you know, digital media in general lately is so I'm, you know, I'm involved. I'm part of a scientific medical community. Uh, some of those people are sort of very mainstream. I'm also, you know, an advocate of plant-based nutrition. And so there's, you know, there's some people who think, well, there's not quite the evidence. And, you know, if, if, if the government is lying to us about that, what else are they lying to us about? And so like I am friends with people who are very smart, very well educated. Um, I think largely of good faith. And I could have predicted I with a hundred percent accuracy how they would have come down on the pandemic, on is it worse than the flu? on Is it sort of a hoax on should we be quarantined? Should we not be quarantining? And they're all they're all bringing up evidence. They're showing studies from Sweden. They're showing uh, death rates. They're showing all but they're disagreeing with each other. But I could have told you in advance, which you know based on their characters, what they would have believed. <laughs> and, and I, it's bugging me, honestly
1: right and for me um for me a good study is one that changes your mind Hmm. you know you don't want to use you know that the good evidence is the evidence which shows that you're wrong to yourself (laughs) Uh, you know so i mean they're really using evidence in a non-scientific way because when you're using evidence you're not trying to bolster your argument you're trying to show that your argument is wrong and it's you know you know so so what's 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 wrong really is not their evidence, but their methodology of how they're using it. Um, that makes such sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, it and really that's, does. That's, and so that's what's going on with the Facebook is people are not really they're arguing. They're not having logical arguments. They're not, you know, I mean, um, well, they're trying to win. They're trying to win instead, and that's all instead of win. instead
0: of trying to discover the truth
1: exactly which yes. is which that's, is, that's, which... that's 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 yeah yeah so rather than yeah rather than having a conversation in which you try to come to some type of truth they're just trying to win their point of view mm-hmm. um which is exactly i think what you were saying about the apps right yeah and again you know on facebook how do you win you win by triggering the most people how many people can <laughs> you own Now i don't i own that person which i guess <laughs> makes means that you made them mad you know and um Yeah, when when Facebook first first came out, I really tried to um, I really tried to have conversations, meaningful conversations on it, but quickly realized (laughs) that that was impossible. So now I just post pictures of cats. (laughs) So um, and again, I think and again, this is like the old curmudgeonly me. If you got these people in a room together around a table and actually were talking, the conversations wouldn't go like that. Right. Um, I don't know why. I mean, this would be an interesting study, right? Why, if you have, you're talking to someone face to face, you'll be willing, you won't be trying to win in that same way. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I don't have the answer to that one.
0: No, I've, cer- I've certainly felt while I was typing. The same way someone feels when they're reaching for the bottle after being abstinent <laughs> for 20 years, you know, like yeah. this is such a bad idea. Put it down. Don't hit return. You know, and it sometimes would... I do and sometimes I don't.
1: It, it would be really interesting to um, to see if you could design a digital platform which afforded meaningful conversations rather than arguments and i have no idea what it would look like but you know i mean the the you know the 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 platforms are not designed to create community they're not designed to further knowledge they're designed to make money <laughs> um and we just haven't we try to use them for these other things uh because it's all we got So
0: I guess they're they're calling out for a really exquisite mindfulness about the fact that we are trying to subvert these tools, ultimately, that to use an iPhone or Facebook or Google or an app to truly improve ourselves and be mindful and discover the truth is using it off label to some extent.
1: Yeah, I think in, in a lot of ways it's using it it's like you're swimming upstream. You're using it against the current of how it's been designed mm-hmm. to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're really not used. I mean, yeah, so digital, they really are used to to trigger your attention and get your attention to keep, you know, so they're not, I mean, they're, they're, they're made to, like, keep you kind of dinging along from little dopamine hit to dopamine hit. Um, and not to have the deep reflections. I don't know if you've ever read the book. It's a really good book called by Walter Ong, who's um, he's a, a I think he's he might have just passed away, but he was he was a, a Catholic priest actually. He wrote this really good book called the The Presence of the Word, which is all about how different types of media construct different types of spirituality. Huh. Um, And there's a little bit of the curmudgeon in him That he's saying that when we get away from Oral communication That we're getting away from true spirituality Um, That's funny
0: I'm in the middle of reading um, The Alphabet versus the Goddess um, By Leonard Schlein Which pretty much says the same thing That that written language um, Preferences A masculine perspective And once we had written language Then the goddess religions had to die out
1: I think, yeah. And he's not going to argue that cause he's a Catholic priest, but he's basically <laughs> going to say that, um, um, you know, for him the high middle ages was like, you know, that's when we were the most spiritual. Again, I don't know if I, you know, i want to live in the high middle ages, but it is yeah. interesting to think about how, what type of spirituality does digital media construct in people? Right. Cause, mm. um, um, and it may not, you know, uh, it, it, at the same time that, we re-question how the economy is put together and we re-question how our lives and work are put together. It, it's also a time in this pandemic to rethink about how we use different types of digital media to communicate. And it may be that it's not, we don't want them at the center. It may be that they can be useful tools for certain things, but maybe um, there's other types of human communities and institutions which may be more beneficial to spirituality than
0: Right. Well, it's like Yeah. It's like, you know, sexting can be a condiment, but it shouldn't be the main course. Just...
1: Yeah, when I was I was I did a study in Second Life on sex. I uh, like basically Second Life sex, and someone uh. described it, and I just remember this they described it like um having being having your body squished up against a plane of glass and having people put honey honey on the outside. <laughs> All right. As you can
0: hear, we dropped off. Um, something happened to the connection, and we did not get to finish the conversation. Greg was very busy with other stuff. We connected a little bit, and I assured him that uh, that was quite a uh, a fun ending image there of uh, naked bodies pressed up against glass with uh, with honey being spread on the other side. But I'll, I'll leave it there to your imagination uh, where it goes. So I hope you found this conversation helpful. And if you want to connect with Greg or see the article, you can check that that out at the show notes, plantyourself.com slash 399. So garden news, tons of tons of garden news. We're planting new beds, uh, put in a whole bunch of soybeans. The buckwheat is up. Buckwheat, when you plant buckwheat in these teeny little uh, these rows with only like an inch or two between the plants. It comes up so cute. Maybe I'll put a picture up um, on on Plant Yourself and on Facebook for you to see because, you know, a, few, a a bed of buckwheat is just the cutest thing ever. Oh, and by the way, if you want to learn how to garden, um, so next week I have an interview with Win- Will Bonsell, who wrote a book called The Essential Guide to Radical Self-Reliant Gardening. And I'm helping him put together Patreon so that he can continue his work saving uh, rare and unusual seeds. Um, I'm hoping to have him produce some sort of a course. But in the meantime, if you want to learn some gardening, there's a masterclass by a friend of mine, Ron Finley, who's the gangsta gardener from um, Los Angeles. Um, And I've Looked at the trailers for it and it looks really, really good. So if you're interested in that, you can check out Masterclass. I don't get paid by them for anything, but just uh, if you want to um, check out Ron Finley's Gardening Masterclass, I think it will be worth your time. Um, also, I'm, I'm putting up new beds in the back. Uh, my BCS two wheel tractor is having a hard time with the fields of crabgrass. So I've taken to a mattock and a hoe kind of doing it manually. So I'm almost like uh, like a massad farm, except instead of selling the sod, I'm just throwing it in piles to get rid of it in running news. I'm running slow. I'm taking a lot of breaks. I did six miles yesterday today. This morning was really, really cold. So I told myself I'd get this podcast published and then go for a run when it hits like 65 or 70. So again, I'm going for a nice, slow, easy six miler. So thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use Sabali Don. Let's bring it back up again now. As I um, continue the thanks, and you can check out Will's music at his website, willrydenhour.com. And I haven't done the whole Plant Yourself Podcast patron list in a while. I hope I still have uh, air in my lungs for it. Here we go. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barnes, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Dina Hayhern, John Wilkinovsky, David Bysak, Mysterious Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman. Oh, by the way, Elspeth Feldman has a program that I want to tell you about. <laughs> I know I'm cheating and taking an extra breath, but uh, she's got um, a plant-based uh, pro- program for helping you cook. I uh, think it's... Uh, Meals and Mocktails in May. So um, hold on, let me find out what that link is. Just remember. Okay, I found it. Just go to vegannewsdaily.com and then look for the April 18th post about the Vegan News Dinner Club new live cooking series, Meals and Mocktails in May. And you have, I think, um, it starts on May 5th so you have a few days to uh, to sign up for that. Anyway, Elspeth Feldman. Okay, back to the thanks. Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Calling Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, William Pedersen, Janet Selby. Selby. Selby! Sorry, Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Fronzek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Assert, David Donahue, Blair Seibert, Dorona Jew Jew, Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosa, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva La L, the Alicia Lemis, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lennon, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the Inscrutable Harry R. Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, DN Norton, Bonnie Lynch, the Plant Happy Organs, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa couple Julie Watkin, Breed O'Connell, Shannon Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Lynn Diat, Home Head of Susan he's Connie Hainlein, Aaron Greer. Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Karen Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, and Jesse Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divot, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Laurie. L- Fanny Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamond McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Cartes, Diane Bishop, Bill Burial, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Mould, Trish Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Gun Gunmarie Hagan, Tracy Gullis, Laura Heeden, Meg for Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily... Perryman, Olga Zilarowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owens, and Sagar Naik for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Kinoski, David Bizek, the Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkas, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, <laughs> Janet Selby, <laughs> Janet Selby, <laughs> hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gillis, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Daron Avizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan Ahmaud, and Nolly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R, Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly, Machia, D.N. Norton, Bonnie Lynch, at Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kertzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins, Breed O'Connell. Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isatou Zinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Jo Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Dan Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamond McAtee, Dan Bicorni, Steven Stephen Leenan, Patty Martino, Mike and Donna Cartz, Diane Bishop, Bill Briel, and Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagan, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paran Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, and Michael Lushton for your